0: This is Shay Fontana with the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Have you ever been to Disneyland? Affirmative. That was definitely an e-ticket. I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. Well, we didn't even have a house phone. Not to mention laser discs, high-def TV.
1: You are listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show. Random house that asked me, do you want to do school visits? And it's like, um, yeah, I guess so. Not knowing exactly what they meant at all. Like I would always gone to bookstores and bookstores. Folks, let me tell you something about going to going to a bookstore event. We all sweated out. <laughs> um the bookstore sweats it out as well as the authors you sweat it out so you're there it's like a friday night at seven o'clock and thinking boy i hope people show up (laughs) here are your hosts jamie green and justin connors
0: all right this is the
2: g this is the gb this is the Great pig beautiful podcast even I don't want to say the full name now. I'm like, this is the GBB podcast. See? <laughs> and coincidentally, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at the GBB podcast. <sighs> okay. Even I don't want to say the full thing. Um, how are you doing this week, Jamie?
3: I'm doing well. I'm, I'm, doing I'm hopped well. up on caffeine at the moment, but I'm doing Of well.
2: course. Yeah. Is there any other way to be, right? No. Not at all. <laughs> so, Jamie, we were just talking before we came on about our guest this week. And, and you were saying he was on the real world. And I said, we have, I really hope he talked about that in, in the interview. Cause I wasn't here this week for this one, but <laughs> uh,
3: yes. And I'm sure, I'm sure 20 years on, he's not tired of being equated huh. with that show because no, course, he has yeah. his own career at this point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, that's uh, all. We're yes. Gonna, we, that's so the only this thing week we're I talked on. to, <laughs>
3: it's just a retrospective of his season on the, around the real world. Um, <laughs> so yes this this episode I talked to Judd Winnick who yes was on the real world the San Francisco which was what the second or third season um if you were if you watched it you know back in the day it's the season that had Puck and Pedro um and Judd and uh even on that show it was when he was trying to break into the comic industry which he did successfully um and now he's, is, uh, you know, he's written superhero books. He's written for DC. He's written for Marvel. He's got his own um, creation called HiLo, which is a young reader graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, and so we we do talk about the real world. Don't worry if that's what you're here for. But um, <laughs> we talked a lot about uh, you know his work in, in graphic novels and and getting um, getting kids to read and using that as a as a as a doorway, really. Um, But we cover a lot of ground. And yes, um, um, he's got a lot of different things he's got going on. So, uh, And he does, like I said, he's got the superhero stuff and he's got his own creation. He does um, some strips, uh, like comic strips that he doesn't do as regularly anymore because he's busy. But he used to put them up on his website and Twitter, um, which are really fascinating. So we talk a little bit about that. And they're, they're called This Makes Me Happy. Um, mm-hmm. and they're just one panel square strips and it like, it could just be like, uh, this is not one I'm totally making it up cause this might not even make anybody happy, but it could just be like Ronald McDonald, you know, it could just be like a picture of one thing and it just, it's something that makes them happy. And I th- thought that, you know, like that's awesome, you know, especially now with, you know, the, mm-hmm. the political climate and, and so many people being so, um, short tempered about everything. I think it's. Really important to to focus on little things that just do just genuinely make us happy. And you know what, Justin? This podcast makes me happy.
2: (laughs) Me too. (laughs) So happy. Um, I was thinking you were saying he he writes for Marvel and you know writes comics. And as a kid, like when we're growing up and we're reading comics, and even I assume he did if he's writing for it. Um sure do you i wonder if these people like they get to actually write and create for them ever and i know it's fool silly to say this but if, if there's ever moments where you're just like sitting there looking at it and you're like i actually write for marvel like yeah. i write comic like can you imagine that like as a as a I, geek growing up and you know into comics and you sitting there man i actually do this
3: <laughs> yeah a- absolutely and i um we actually do talk about that and Judd does mention something almost exactly to that that effect, you know? And I don't know how much it is like, wow, I'm writing for Marvel or wow, I'm writing Mm -hmm. for DC. I think it's more like, I just put, I just made Batman talk, you know, or like, (laughs) I just, I just did something in Superman's and in Spider-Man's life that will, that will, you know, nerds will be talking about for years to come, you know, or something. And it's like, I think that's what it is. It's That, that, yeah, the inner, your inner geek totally freaks out because you're like, I'm writing words, and those words are coming out of Batman's mouth. That right. is awesome.
2: Oh, man. That's the, the power. The, po- the just, Not even the power, right. just. It, yeah, it's, my mind's blown. Exactly. Like you, can, you can't see me right now, but it's blown. It is. It's, it's, there's
3: blood all over the camera, guys. It's gross.
2: Yeah, it's disgusting. All right, guys, we're going to go play that interview for you right now. Hope you enjoy.
3: So, Judd, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. It's a, a pleasure to have you here. It is great to be here. Thank you. Thank um, you so much. Absolutely. I, I wonder, um, rather than, you know, saying like, oh, what, what, what got you your start or where was your inspiration? I, I wonder if you can point to a book or a moment or something that just sort of you, you look back on and you say, yep, that changed the direction of my life. That made me want to make books.
1: Oh, yeah, I totally can do that. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> I, can, I can do that for it's on on two separate uh, events. One um was the uh, uh one was the third uh, Garfield collection. Uh, <laughs> was not expecting and, that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I can I can totally do it. It's the third Garfield collection and uh, the first Bloom County collection, which um, I think it's Loose Tails. That Loose Tails has got to be Loose Tails. Um, in both those cases. So I think I was reading Garfield when I don't know. I was like eight years old, mm-hmm. nine years old, maybe. As you do. Um, and uh, it just it just cracked me the heck up. It yeah. just really my parents just always talked about it with like such great delight. It's like you no, know, you'd be in the corner. It's like a constant parade of giggles, <laughs> um, and. Uh, in hindsight I just I think what I really liked about Garfield is that he was mean and it was <laughs> really and that, that yeah that really did something to me and uh, I was a budding cartoonist and I immediately started drawing Garfield like crazy and then I made my own strip which in no way should remind people of Garfield I think it was called Marvin which was also about a fat angry cat nice um, and I was you know just ripping and aping off Garfield and uh, I did that for years. Uh, But it also, it it just, just by, it's something that inadvertently taught me, um, to learn how to draw by copying other cartoonists. Yeah. Which I don't think it occurred to me at the time. Like I was, I was doing my own stuff. I was was pretty good. Um, but I didn't really, I didn't really like copying or tracing or doing anything like that. And I think this is the first time I was like, no, I love Garfield so much. I want to make my own Garfield cartoon. So from that, I started copying, um, Garfield. And then that like, led to, you know, decided to copy out of superhero comics and my anatomy got better. And it just, um, it taught me how to, to make jokes, which I like doing and, and like a draw on a fat cat. Yeah. And then, and then Bloom County came along, Bloom County came along and I think I was 13. And I think the first time I saw it of all things, like my grandmother saw an article, um, in like a local, uh, uh, Burke Breathed was a was a Floridian, and my grandmother was, of course, you know, she was an elderly Jewish person, so she was living in Florida. Of, of, of course, she was. Uh, right. <laughs> so, you know, it, as as is the national law, um, and she sent me a magazine article, like like a local, like the, the like Parade magazine or something from the whatever the version of it in the Miami Herald was. Mm-hmm. There was a big story on this new cartoonist Burke Breathed, and it had just like four of his cartoons in there, but. They just—I just remember it just did something to me. It's like that's that's, that's cool. Yeah. It's just really, and then not long after the first collection came out, and I, I read it till it was almost falling apart. Yeah. And then I began copying his stuff, and i, I think I ripped off Bloom County well into uh, my college comic strip. Yeah. Um, so not book well, books, but yeah. I'm a cartoonist. So yeah. yes, Garfield gains weight. <laughs> Dude, that's the, I, I had that one, yeah. So yeah, and you know what, off the top of my head, that is the second collection. Okay. So Garfield gains weight. The, the second collection, just just for our purists, and yeah, Bloom County loose Tales Yeah, those that, are the two books that changed my life.
3: That's awesome. You know, I as as you are when you're eight years old, like you said, I think every it's also a national law that you have to read Garfield and have those collections, and I did when I was young. And I think the thing that really struck me about Garfield. Um, is that it could be funny when nobody smiled, like you know, like they yeah. were they, they were not intentionally <laughs> telling jokes, and I think that kind of blew my mind when I was a kid that like this is funny, but nobody in here is smiling or being intentionally funny, yet I still find it funny. Like how does that work? You know, kind of blew <laughs> blew my little eight year old
1: mind. <laughs> yeah, they were they were mean. Yeah, yeah I don't I don't think. Yeah, as a kid I don't think it occurred to me. I don't think it occurred to me that they were, you know, they're like mean, sarcastic and yeah. you know, and not nice. But they talked about it all the time. You know, where Snoopy was really, really nice. Yeah. You know, mostly. Um, you know, but Garfield was like every just pissed about everything, everything. <laughs> um, and man, that was that was really funny. And it still It, it still, it still holds up especially for kids. Yeah, I mean, my 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 children when they were um no, I still love it, you know, as I was to say, when they're little, but my daughter's eight and she just digs the hell out of it. My son, you know, still loves it. Yeah. Um. You know, still got the magic. It it does. It still holds up. It's
3: amazing. Um, Let's talk Hilo. I know I know you made Hilo because you wanted to have something for your own kids. Uh, I've heard you yeah. tell the story that, you know, your son asked you to read some of your comic books and you're like, no, no, those aren't for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, yes but I mean in general what are your feelings about you know the current state of kids comics are, are there enough are we are we doing better than we were before you know how how do we stand
1: do you think um I think I think there there aren't enough but yeah. we're doing a lot better yeah. I mean, It's it's really it's interesting I mean I was I've I've been very 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 fortunate for the first time in my professional career to have good timing <laughs> um usually I'm you know I'm coming in, you know, after the waves hit the beach, or just riding the wave, as it were. Um, but I think Hilo kind of came out at a time when it seemed that that there was a, there was a greater need in understanding that you know superhero comics um, have gotten further and further away from being all ages, um, which was different when we were kids. When mm-hmm. we were kids, we could you could read all of them. You sure. could read Spider Man, you could read X Men, or Batman, or Superman, um, and you know then we had. You know, 15 years of them getting dark and gritty and edgy, mind you. As as we previously mentioned, um, I was part of the problem. I was one of the guys who made it dark and gritty, edgy, and I fully, you know, uh, you know, admit that. Uh, and it isn't a bad thing. It's just you know, we we really were interested in comics being taken seriously. Uh, but then comics got serious. That's a, that's a different thing. And um, so I think I think we're moving in the right direction. I think a lot of it was. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll have the gift of hindsight in years to, years to come, but I think with syndicated comic strips going away a lot, Mm -hmm. um, newspapers not as plentiful as they used to be, um, cartoonists who want to tell funny stories, um, you know, where, whereas, you know, syndicated comic strips were an avenue to do that in some way, shape, or form, um, you know, long form stories were not the way, you know, we just, it wasn't anything we necessarily gravitated to, um. But I think now we are. And now, but by, by doing more, people see more. Mm-hmm. By, you know, younger cartoonists coming up and seeing that they can do, you know, a 200-page story when they sit down and go ahead and do it, they will. You know, opposed to, let me try and come up with a four-panel joke. Right. Um, which is all I wanted to do when I was growing up. That's all I wanted to do is to, be, to do a syndicated comic strip. I read superhero comics religiously, but those are two entirely different things. So I think the fact that we, um, you know, can bridge it now, um, and I mean before this, you know, I think in a lot of it is just you know people are people, and you know what you know by looking at it. So um, Batman doesn't look anything like Tintin.
0: Right. So I
1: don't think anyone, you know, thought that no, we can kind of keep doing sort of long-form, cartoony, all-ages storytelling. Um, but it's, it's there. It's happening. You know, yeah. I think like, Rainbow Taker just blew the doors off the whole Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Um, you know, and it was, you know, I think, I think Raina, she gets all, she gets all kinds of credit. And I don't think she gets enough credit for that. It was not overnight. (laughs) (laughs) She, she worked really, really hard. Um, like she, she hand sold smile, uh, going from school to school, to school for could have been a couple of years, um, before, It started to really get some traction and then you know i think it took sisters coming out to finally like you know all right thing you know then then things delightfully went bananas
0: yeah
1: um you know we're seeing it you know it's one of those it's a fun thing i'll go to a school and talk to kids and mention like uh do you guys know you guys know reina tech myers you know smile (laughs) and like every hand goes everybody knows it. it
3: yeah it's amazing
1: yeah yeah, and if they don't, it, may, it, it it sort of, for me, sort of casts a pall over the room. Like, you guys don't? You really don't? Like, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> You've entered the twilight zone of elementary schools or middle a schools. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> there is that feeling of like, what the heck? Did, did you guys not hear me? Like, no, okay, like, <laughs> only a, only a few of you like, okay, well, I'm glad I'm here talking about Hilo. I'm going to tell you about this another <laughs> slightly underground book series called Smile that I think you guys... And Brandon Zegemeyer's four books. I think you guys would enjoy those. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think we're, we're I think we're doing better, and I think um, mainstream publishers have caught the bug. Yeah, um, I think everybody likes money, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is a, a household joke with us. As far as like uh, like you know, like everybody likes money, and I think uh, the fact that books like uh, you know books like Hilo and Smile and Sisters and Ghosts and Drama and yeah amulet and uh you know the list gets too long right Yeah, it's exactly great. um the fact that these are all doing really well will breed more of them yeah and of course there's always need because kids are kids and graphic novels are quick reads so they're gonna need lots more
3: <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, and, it's go ahead no no go on uh, i was just gonna say it's it's funny my my oldest is eight and um I've been reading comics and graphic novels for a, for a long time, longer than eight years, obviously. But uh, right. you know, when, when she was born, I started looking around and be like, OK, so what's out there? Like, what can I sort of start buying to build her bookshelf? And Bone was there. And uh, I think Amulet had started by that point. But there, you know, like it, there wasn't a whole lot else. And now mm-hmm. now there's, like, entire sections of the comic book store that is just kid-friendly. And it's not just, you know, your, your standard joke. It's not just your Archies and your Scooby-Doo's. Like, there's some really great stuff. And, like, we've run out of bookshelf space in our house. Like, we don't even know where we could put another bookshelf because <laughs> we just don't have the room. And we, we just keep collecting these books. And, like, so I I, I I I'm happy to hear you say that from your perspective that we're also moving in the right direction. But, I mean... I think we still need more and more and more, but I think just in the last five to 10 years, the explosion of those books has been phenomenal.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I you know, they'll, um, it'll get, I mean, it'll get sort of Darwinian that, you know, better books will rise up. Yeah. The ones that were, are, um, are just being churned out. Um, well, uh, as you're saying, like you mentioned a couple of like the commercial properties. Yeah. Um, like those are, you know, that's low bearing fruit, and that's fine, and that's that's good fun. Um, I think that sort of, you know, uh, it's water for the river that keeps things moving. Um, but it'll be more fun. I for me, it's always more fun when it's just, the original comics are better. Yeah, they just are. Yeah, you know, um, and ones that don't have necessarily the stink of trying to sell TV shows or toys. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I sorry. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm even saying that out loud. I should preface emphasis by saying that i love tv shows and toys and i'm not saying like i'm even worried about pissing people off i really do mean like you know c- like come to my house people and see how many toys i have and see how many <laughs> dvds i have um <laughs> it's it's not that big a strong knock but i'm saying with within the context of yeah when you go to those shelves um it's cool to see the original stuff done by the original creators yeah, absolutely. um and not by you know the six guys who are hired to do? Right. We'll say Scooby Doo since you brought it up, uh, and you know it's uh, you know it's is never quite as good. It's a little and the kids know after a while. Actually, mm-hmm. it's can, a lot of recycled sort of
3: storylines, and you say, hey, "Didn't I just read this like four issues ago?"
1: <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> kids <laughs> so, aren't dumb. No,
1: no. It's, yeah, it's it's just the same because yeah, because yeah. you know they just got more people doing it. Yep, exactly.
3: Um, you may have actually just answered this with Reyna, but. You said that Bone was one of the first graphic novels you gave to your son. And aside, yeah. aside from Bone and Hilo, of course, what are some books that you'd want to put into every kid's hands?
1: Um definitely Raina, yeah. definitely definitely Amulet. Yeah. Um I uh Oh, you know what I talk up, which is kinda of funny and I I I it's um stemming from, from, from Raina Tagamar. Raina had mentioned I don't know. Before we actually got to know one another, she'd mentioned. I think it was, I was think I she was out on a panel, and uh, they were talking about influences, and she brought up for better or for worse, mm. um, with the comic strip for yeah. better or for worse, um, and I had not thought about it in years, and I had read it religiously the entire run. It was just one of those things. I just um, like yeah, I love that too. I mean, she talked about that. It was just. Part of her blood, mm-hmm. and that she had a big crush on on Michael from the strip, and uh, and I'd forgotten. Like just thinking about, it I was like, you know what? I think I gotta check it out again. And what was what was amazing about this as a comic strip was that it um it was serialized, mm-hmm. and uh, so the characters like Michael was like eight years old when this strip started, yeah,
0: and they when all the strip ended, up. he
1: yeah he was married and was having having babies of his own,
0: yeah.
1: Um, they were. And so it became this massive, serialized story. So I I was looking around for my old trades, which were, like, really just chopped up. I said, forget it. I'm just going to go buy new ones. And I bought, like, the first four or five, and I read it myself. I was like, this is actually – this holds up it's mature the art's amazing and I gave it to my kids and they lost their damn minds (laughs) they just just loved it they just loved it I I was really I think they loved it you know it's about a family so it feels like something they're very familiar with they liked that the the kids are going to school the mom and dad are like having trouble being parents it's like you know kind of wonderfully grouchy but you know then the serialized story sort of takes hold and Mm -hmm. it becomes this massive event um, that you know that great things happen um it still holds up yeah. it still holds up it, it actually as a reader for someone who gets into it the, the stories uh, become more interesting and the characters have more depth as the strip goes on um so i've brought it up at a couple of schools I've had teachers reach out to me say you know what we got a bunch of the trade the uh trade collections of for better for worse and said and you're right we put yes. it right next to smile and sisters and say if you like this you might like this like so, okay, they do they uh. really really do that's amazing. so it was it was kind of neat it was a little it was a little bit of a find yeah
3: um i'm gonna have to go back and reread so, those now
1: yeah i i highly recommend it and and again it starts off very much like like well not like i was gonna say like an ordinary strip but not exactly like i think more of the the story-based stuff really kicks in as as she matured as a, as a cartoonist as yeah. the stories got more involved yeah um well, let's see another one i love which is I not even out yet. I was lucky enough to get, to get an ARC because I, I know Chris Eliopoulos. Chris did this great series uh, called Cosmic Commandos. Okay. Um, and I just I just finished reading the final ARC last week, and uh, it was just like it made my heart explode. <laughs> it's, it was just, nice. Um It's this Chris Eliopoulos, who is uh, known mostly as he was a, he's a uh, – uh... ninja superpowered letterer for marvel comics uh... for decades and decades but he also um he draws brad Meltzer's yeah, uh... Course. picture book series yeah. um, ordinary heroes and um now you finally get a chance to see chris like you know do a full story you know every page of art not picture book but a good old-fashioned graphic novel and it's great it's funny it's so cute as a bug's butt it just just it makes my teeth itch just in a good way <laughs> Like he draws so cute and the characters are cute. He's got this um he's got this amazing sort of Calvin and Hobbes ish thing going on. Yeah, this story's yeah. just great. It's about yeah. it's about twin without giving too much away, it's about twin brothers. Um and he's got twins himself, so they were the inspiration. Nice. Um but it's a it's a big old science fiction story, so it's just it's great.
3: Oh, it's exciting. Yeah, I love I love his art. I mean, those those ordinary heroes' books are just they're mind blowing in how awesome they look. And it's just I mean, and then Brad's stories on top of them is just I can't I can't sell those books enough to people who ask I just love them love them to pieces yeah
1: no it's it's, it is a big thrill how popular they've gotten and how good they are Mm -hmm. and uh and Chris has actually Chris has gotten better he's even gotten better at doing like you know with each book it's like wow look at that you know it's like you know I thought the the Helen Keller book was like like a beautiful thing and like here we are this great Jim Henson book Mm, I Um, love the Jim Henson one (laughs) it is great isn't it it was so (laughs) no when Bradley told me you know a while back, like, yeah, we're going to do Jim Henson. It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's like, really? Really? It's like, yeah, if we clear all the right stuff and yeah. this and that and get the permission to like, uh
0: you know, it's yeah. a great
1: story.
3: It is, it is. We had him on right before the Jim Henson book came out, and uh, I was telling him, I was like, now you've done Jim Henson, you've got to do Mr. Rogers. And he, he, he nearly blew his top. He's like, that's what I want to do! They, like, <laughs> they thought it was too similar to Jim Henson. For some weird reason, they wouldn't let him do it. So it's like top of his list, he said. So
1: I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's Mr. Yes, we have talked about <laughs> they must to do Mr. Rogers. Did he tell you his best Mr. Rogers story, the one that's in Heroes for My Son? Oh, did he get a chance to tell that? I
3: don't know. He may have, but I can't recall.
1: Well, it was uh, when Mr. Rogers got his car stolen. Do you no, know that? I he would have to... remembered that. He didn't tell that. Okay, he... so plugging Brad, because this will make my publicist happy. Um, <laughs> uh, so Brad did two collections, which is Heroes for My Son and Heroes for My Daughter, which right. are, is exactly what it sounds like. Little, little stories that are talking about these amazing people. And it's just one anecdote. Each for each hero, it's one anecdote that you kind of haven't heard. And the one he told about Mr. Rogers is that Mr. Rogers, you know, he's a wonderful man on so many levels. A great story he heard is that one night, Mr. Rogers' car was stolen. Um, just that. It was stolen. Mm-hmm. And because he's Mr. Rogers, when he called it in, it, it got reported. And, you know, it made the paper that somebody stole Mr. Rogers' car. And the next day his car came back. Someone left it in front of his house, and they left a note that they returned it because, like, we apologized. We didn't know it was your car. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It's just the greatest thing in the world. I get choked up even thinking about it, that, you know. um, It's like, yeah, no, you're not like the rest of us, sir. You're a different human being. We steal people's cars, but you're not. You're not people. You're not just people. You can have your You're car Mr. back. Rogers. Like, sorry, man. We didn't know. We'll go steal someone else's car. You give too much. We shouldn't take from you. It's just, it's, you can keep going on and on. Just the simple beauty of it. So, yeah. Oh, I that's, love that's, that. So that's why he wants to do a Mr. Rogers story. That, that one's going to be in there. Oh, I love
3: that. I love that. <laughs> um, I mean, just the amount of fun we're having talking about comics. I wonder, yes, um, this might seem like a loaded question, but have comics, like comics, mainstream comics we're talking here, have they forgotten how to be fun? I mean, it's, it's cliche at this point, And even you said it, you know, like the dark and gritty really took over for a while. And, but I, I think it's okay. And Marvel has been doing this to a certain extent, but it's okay for superheroes to be a little bit silly and it's okay to make the reader yeah. laugh. Um, right. It, it, Professionally, because you see a different side of it than maybe I do. Do you see us moving away from that dark and gritty, and like back toward comics just being fun, or, or you know, it seems like at DC sometimes some of the books are even they're just doubling down. They're saying this is a book for adults.
1: Yeah, I think I I think <laughs> I think you're right on all of it. Yeah. Um, when uh, I think one of the best. Representations of superheroes, like done in in the mainstream. Well, I think I think Joss Whedon and the Avengers, he did, you know, he kind of told the perfect superhero story. And what was great about it is that it was funny. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Joss Whedon's funny. He's funny. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is funny, and he made he made his superheroes funny. Right. And also as serious as a heart attack. You know, it's like there's a big old action movie where they're really really playing for keeps, and the characters feel real. But you know what? You know, Tony Stark's really funny. Mm-hmm. Captain America, it. There's jokes. And there's levity. There's air. Now, are they silly? No. They're not silly. But I don't know. I've, I've heard people get critical, like, yeah, those, those dopey, funny Marvel movies. Like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Just because, you know... Just because Cap can, you know, just because they make a joke here and there. Yeah. Like, you know, like the, someone says, you know, well, it's like the Wizard of Oz. And Cap goes, I got that reference. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Yeah. It's just funny. That's it's not a criticism. Context.
3: That's not a criticism that they're
1: funny, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And I think um, in superhero comics, now and again, I would get, I, I mean, some people would tag that I was being too, I was being too glib. I don't like. They didn't like how like funny I would have characters, but I would do it. I thought I was doing it within context, um, and I think lots of other writers do that. Like Brian Bendis, um, Brian Brian's always funny, mm-hmm. um, you know, in telling serious superhero stories. But there's air in there. There's jokes. There's levity. Because, I mean, I don't know. In, in my life, I like, I like to have people around me with a sense of humor. Right. That's the whole thing. Is like, it's okay for them to have a sense of humor. Um, you know, it's. I mean, can Batman crack jokes? No. <laughs> <laughs> he can't. But, you know, every, out of every 100 things he says, he can say, say something that sounds funny to somebody else. Or Alfred's the funny one. Right. Robin's the funny one. You know, it's like other people should be funny. So. As far as like straight up superhero ca- comics being funny, yeah, I think in the context of being these action adventure stories about these very serious cats who are saving the world, you should have jokes you should you know it should should be you know just a little bit of goofing around mm-hmm. now as far as like you know comics that are that are just having fun um that's what I looked at for my own book what what I wanted to do is I wanted to tell um you know, just what we're talking about. I wanted to do a straight-up action adventure that was going to have an ongoing story, like a real mystery, stakes, things that felt like kids were you – know, the, the characters are in jeopardy. You know, something bad is going to be happening. But we're still going to have fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're still going to have fun. It's going to be downright silly at times, but silly in the way that maybe Pixar movies are. Right. That um, grown-ups can still look at it and not just want to, you know, just like, oh, I'm ready to put a put a hammer to my head. Yeah. Um. You know, I mean, I'm I'm an adult, and I like a good burp joke. I still do. <laughs> That's why I put them in there. You know, like when like when they're done right, I'm I'm good with burping and farting. It's it's, it's okay. <laughs> you know, I yeah. I laugh at me one thing like what's a fart joke in a Pixar movie? it Took me one second to remember. Like, oh yeah, it's like in uh, Finding Nemo. Uh, you know, they're underwater and they set up all all the uh, the, the the mines uh, in the abandoned submarines. They all explode. And then it's, and then we cut to two pelicans at the top of the water, and like a couple of bubbles come up behind one. Yep. <laughs> he goes, "Nice." He yeah. flies away, and it works. <laughs> <laughs> it works. Perfectly reasonable fart joke. Doesn't seem off color. Just it's right there. Yeah. Um, I think there's a way to thread this needle. Um, I, I know there's. Um, I I actually suspect at some point, Superhero Comics. Might get back around to it I know there's lots of talk Because I've had the talks That they want to do things Which are more middle grade books Um, And if they get the right people involved Who know how to You know You don't have to dumb it down You just basically don't have to Make it so dark and gritty You know just not adult It's just it's a matter of making it like PG and below. Right. And it's not like, hey, Joker's coming out after us with pies. It's like, <laughs> no, you know, <laughs> the Joker can come after Batman and threaten to kill him. And it's, it can it's still be. Yeah, there's a know, middle ground. Yeah, there's a way of figuring out that he doesn't have to like be a cute little short guy. He's yeah. like actually firing like a water pistol full of lemonade at them or something. <laughs> you know, that there's, there's, there is, yes, as you said, a middle ground to be found.
0: Yeah.
3: So I mean, we we've talked about this. You know, you you've straddled both worlds in your career. You've written for the superhero books for you know the big two, and you've created your own books. Which gives you the bigger thrill? I mean, I'm sure they give you different kinds of thrills. But which, which if you if you had your druthers, which one would you choose?
1: I'm choosing right now. I'm right. I'm <laughs> I'm very, I'm extremely ridiculously happy doing exactly what I'm doing right now. That's awesome. And it took me a while to. Hey, I'm a cough, we can cut this.
0: <clears throat>
1: it took me a while to come back to figuring out that I wanted to be a full-on cartoonist again. Um, i uh, you know I started out doing comic strips, which led to you know doing like a, a graphic novel which showed me that I could do long form stories and that I liked and love doing long-form stories, which led to doing, like, Barry Ween, which is, a you know, an independent comic, but it was long-form, and, you know, I was digging on it, but, mm-hmm. you know, then it led to writing gigs, uh, like doing superhero comics, like doing, an, um, you know, and even doing an animated series, which I drew a lot, but it's different. It's doing designs and punching up storyboards and things like that, um, and before I knew it, I'm doing live-action TV, um, nothing of which got on the air but you know i got paid for here and there
0: mm-hmm.
1: and with the promise of if you get a television show on the air and it's live action that you know my grandchildren would have their houses paid for and shit like that so, <laughs> <laughs> so it's it was it was always there but somewhere along the way i I just, I just brass tacks i stopped drawing yeah um and i was writing all the time and i wasn't even aware what this thing was that was that was making me so unhappy. um and when uh my kids got old enough I started you know, basically my son got old enough, I started drawing with him more and more. It was really this thing that it's like, no, I think I really missed this. Yeah. And um it took a while for me to come all the way around to realise like oh, you know what? I think I think a combination of everything that I've done got me right back here. I think I wanna write and draw again. I think this is who I am, I think I'm a, a person who loves sitting at a table and, you know, and, and drawing half the day mm-hmm. and, you know, and making up stories. And I luckily did 10,000 hours of superhero comics, uh, <laughs> that, that helped. You, you know, really <laughs> it did. Well, it's a funny thing. My editor, Shana Corey, uh, who editor and, and friend, um, when we've talked about stuff when there's been like things that kind of bumped her in the story, meaning in, in Hilo, meaning in Hilo, like uh-huh. this wasn't quite working for this. And she thinks it's a big note. She comes to me like, yeah, I'm not sure this part is working. It's like, well, what if what if Highland DJ do this instead, and then Gina can come in here, and then with this, and that instead of instead of this thing happen, we'll do like that, and this big thing will come out of the crown. It's like, it's like whoa, 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 whoa! Did you? <laughs> it's like, did you th- did you already, did you already know I was gonna give you this note? It's like, no. Why? It's like, how'd you come up with that so quickly? It's like, oh, it's just it's just superhero comics. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, you know, you learn to, you know, you just figure out how to take the engine apart and put it back together again. Yeah. Um, and I know I just heard an interview with Ed Brubaker, who, um, Ed, also cartoonist, turned full-time writer, superhero guy. And he was talking about working on The Westworld. Uh-huh. He's a writer-producer on Westworld, you right. know, so he's got his big boy pants on. And he can do the same thing with Westworld. They'll, they'll have some big plot point. And he talks about like, no, no. What if we? This character goes here, and we do this, and we move this over here, and instead of that, we just do this. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa! So <laughs> how did you think? Oh no, superhero comics. Yeah. It's just you know you, you do it long enough, it's the story beats. Like the, tropes.
3: the story beats just exist in your head.
1: Yeah, you just you can. <laughs> haven't thought about someone might have said this to me, it's like, it's like looking at the matrix. It's like, <laughs> you y- all can see it's all, it's all, you know, zeros and ones to you, but you know, we can, we can see different things. Yeah. And it is purely about when you write hundreds and hundreds of, and it is hundreds of superhero comics. It's about trying to figure out how to work around this small piece of real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Batman can only do so many things. You know, he can't grow old, he can't change, he right. can't die. Um so it's about figuring out how to make these stories work in this tiny tiny context. When you don't have that tiny context. Right. Um which is which is why I love Hilo. Yeah. I'm telling I'm telling a complete story. I get to I get to move everyone around the way I want to. Um I absolutely adore the physical act of drawing it. Again, it's it's just it's so much fun to do that. And then there's this insane, insane bonus, which I didn't exactly see coming, is that my own children are huge fans, mm. totally invested in it. And then the you know, other big kick in the pants is that other children yeah. like it. Um, and as you know, as someone who's walking around this realm, children don't lie, no, yeah. at least not about things they like. Right. They don't feel the need to suck up ever.
3: <laughs> yeah, and your and your dads—they're so not going to tell you just to make you feel good. They don't—they're
1: not going to do that. <laughs> no, they don't suck up to me about anything like right. this, especially like they didn't like this, they didn't like this. I mean, you know, my son tells me there's parts of Hilo he doesn't like, but what he's telling me is that it upsets him.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, like there's there's stuff coming. So, like, yeah, I didn't like this part where you know where Hilo got mad and yelled at DJ. I said, well, he didn't like that part because it's a sad part. Like, yeah, you yeah. know, he's not telling me like you should rewrite that where it's happy it's like no no this made me feel bad it's like, yeah. It's like well yeah that's you know it's part of the story yeah. you know but he won't hold back <laughs> exactly and tell me yeah, yeah it, I, don't, I didn't like that um, and, and kids who are not my own children same thing they mm-hmm. don't you know they they will tell you when things stink yeah. um, or at least they so won't
3: be effusive about loving it you know they're not going to tell you that they no. really love something if they don't care for it
1: no they don't yeah. they just absolutely don't and it's one of the biggest pleasures in my life is uh, it was well school visits. Yeah. It's I, I didn't. It, <laughs> it's one of these things where I, oh, I had no idea. <laughs> um, when *Hilo* was first coming out a couple of years ago, the first book, um, Random House had asked me, "Do you want to do school visits?" And it's like, um, yeah, I guess so. Um, not knowing exactly what they meant at all. Like I'd, I'd always gone to bookstores and bookstores. Folks, let me tell you something about going to, going to a bookstore event. We all sweat it out. Um, the bookstore sweats it out as well as the authors. You sweat it out. So you're there. It's like a Friday night at 7 o'clock. And thinking, boy, I hope people show up. <laughs> I hope it's just not me, the people from the bookstore. My friend, who happens to live in this town, and the woman who drove me over. Yeah. I hope it's not just. And sometimes it is. And
3: sometimes it is. Um, I used even, to. Work, I used to work in a bookstore at a Barnes and Noble during college, and we had author events all the time. And there were plenty of nights when we had to like get the Starbucks crew. They just go sit there. Nobody else is here. We need to fill the seats. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's just everyone's embarrassed. Everybody, <laughs> the author, us. Just please. And if you have a yes, have them come in. Hey, we're having a we're having a book event yep. in the back, right? right yeah, now. Gotta push it's it hard. free. Just come sit. Yeah, it's the worst. So, yeah. um, flip side, uh, you go to a school, and I didn't know this until literally the first time I went to a school. Going to a school, they led me into a cafeteria, which is like, oh, I thought I was going to a classroom or something. It's like, no, the kids are going to be in here. It's like, oh, okay. And then they started leading in 200 kids, you know, <laughs> to come sit in the cafeteria. It's like, oh, my God, I'm doing an assembly. <laughs> this is this is going to be great. I was so excited because I knew what assemblies were like for me when, when yeah. we were kids. It's like, that's an hour out of class. Exactly. It's going to be, you know, and you're excited. Like, even if it's like, I don't know, fire safety, which who cares? Like, I'm going to be talking about cartoons and like Looney Tunes <laughs> and monster movies and like drawing pictures of Hilo. This is going to be great. It's gonna be great. They're going to love you. And, yeah. And they, and you know what? All modesty. They did. They oh, I'm sure. So, it's fun so i told random i was like i don't want to go to bookstores anymore unless we have to this is so much better like this is this is like better than drugs this is just, as long as i keep getting, getting, doing this and um it's it's a wonderful feeling like i make up a joke in my basement here in my studio yeah you know that hilo crashes earth and all he's wearing is silver underpants and i think that's kind of funny that he's just like wearing silver underpants yeah. and then you know two years later i'm you know, I'm I'm in an elementary school talking to 300 kids in Colorado, and one kid stands up and his question is like, "Yeah, I thought it was really funny when Hilo was wearing silver underpants." Not a question; he just wants to tell me. Just to, yeah, he thinks that's awesome. It's like, yeah, I got to be honest with you, buddy. I think it's awesome too. That's why I did it. Thank you.
3: <laughs> it's this is so interesting because you know I think a lot of young artists or writers when they're starting out and they have these dreams of becoming. Um, a comic book artist or writer, and and they're they're so focused on the big two, you know, like I want to write Batman, yeah. I want to write Spider Man or draw Spider Man, and you know, talking to people like you and other people who have, who are in the industry, and, and it's no knock on those types of books and that that business model, but there are so many creative shackles you have to wear that you really don't have the freedom to tell the story that you want to. And then I hear the story again and again, you know, you move from um, either you're doing it at the same time or you move from one to the other and then you go to your creator own book or you're you're, you're the book that the story or the character that you created or you like you're saying, you do an all ages book and you you take it to schools and it is it's like night and day. It is such a different experience creatively that I wonder, like, why do people want to write Batman? You know, like, is it (laughs) like, you know, because I hear this again and again and again. I mean, but the flip side of that is that you also say, like, you learned a lot by writing those hundreds and hundreds of Green Lantern and Green Arrow, you know?
1: I totally did. It's, 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 it's all the above. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, why, why write Batman and Superman and Spider-Man? Because, because we're still, we're still 10 year old kids who want to play with those toys. Um, you know, I don't, I I don't, I don't think I ever would have given it up. And I think so much of the work I did there, I'm very, very proud of and happy to do. Um, but I just, you know, for lack of a better expression, I did, I did just grow out of it. Yeah. And I, I did have, I mean, some people don't have another gear. You know, they don't have um, a lot. A lot of guys stay in superhero comics and write superhero comics because, you know, that's where they that's who they are. Mm-hmm. That's who they are. And you know, do they have another gear to actually come up with an original character that that kind of works? Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I mean, so there are there are some guys who have had a long and fruitful career writing characters for companies yeah. and they're great at it and they're really great at it um and i was you know there's nothing more exciting than the first couple of times when you're writing a superhero script and you're saying like yep these are the words that are coming out of batman's mouth yep. i just wrote <laughs> and and batman lands on the rooftop oh my god i got to do that um but i think i think if if your aspiration is to tell your own stories always keep an eye on that yeah. D- and don't you know and don't at some point, you might have to, you know, <laughs> this is a reference for old people. You might have to leave while Mary Tyler Moore is still the number one show. You, <laughs> you might have to look at, you know, I'm writing superhero comics and I'm doing well at it, or I'm succeeding in this way, um, or it's it's fun and I have learned a lot. Like, go try to do the other thing now before you, you know, you've you've kind of lost your steam or your way, and yeah. you know, and these muscles have atrophied. I mean, it took me a while actually to get back to doing this. You know, HILO was not my first attempt. It it took, it took, HILO was the second try. The first Mm -hmm. try was a, was a half-assed effort on my part to put together a, um, like a presentation rather than an actual book. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I think it's just because so much of, of, of my creative muscles had atrophied and also knowing what I had to do, which is the real work. Like, yeah, it'll take me like nine months to actually like write and draw an actual book, you know, opposed to a month and a half to come up with a synopsis and mm-hmm. like twenty pages and drawings and a few original pages, and you know and whatever I did for this presentation, which everyone said the same thing, which is like yeah, it's really good i'd I'd like to see the whole thing, <laughs> yeah so would I <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like, yeah, me too. And it's like then I realized like okay this this is not this is not the book I need to do, yeah, this is not the one i think, I said you know that was like a kind of a standalone thing, and i' it's like okay, let me think let me think bigger." you know and then it was i just went away for i went away for 9 or 10 months and just yeah. on spec did the book um but you're right they're, they're i think uh a lot of people would be surprised if they don't necessarily you know um, find their creative itches scratched by by writing other people's characters right um it is a i i do tend to think i like to think it's 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 great for um, a younger person to get into it like I was writing superhero comics in my, you know in my 20s and into my 30s which was just about perfect for me it was the first time I actually would call myself a writer um, you know I mm-hmm. I did it by doing mm-hmm. um, and sometimes that's helpful yeah. but it is it is limiting It's other it's other people's stuff it's never right. going to be yours and exactly. when you're done writing your superman run then someone else is going to do it
3: <laughs> and retcon away
1: everything that you just did probably possibly yes you just gotta you gotta live with that or an event's going
3: to come along and destroy the universe and rebuild from the script from from
1: the ground up again so absolutely yeah <laughs> every, every time and if, if, if you if you're av- ever concerned with that it's like yeah you're going to create a character and you don't own it and someone else is going to run around with it and you got you have to be okay with that yeah this is you know you are living in someone else's house, eating their food, playing with their toys, and that's time for you to go home. Yeah,
3: <laughs> it's a harsh lesson to you learn know, if you're not prepared for that. Yeah, yeah, um, true. Yep. If you're being honest, how much mm-hmm. did the real world help you break into the industry or just with your career, if at all? Um,
1: a lot in 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 less obvious ways. I mean, it can be. Re- I can. Here here's the, well, a couple of brass tacks things. Mm-hmm. Um. When I did the show, The Real World, when I was on The Real World, um, our director, George Vershaw, there are directors to these things, by the way. (laughs) Bob Fisher and George Vashore they directed the show. Um, So one of the things that George told me, just as we are basically, you know, the show had ended and we're we're all about to leave. He told me that this is going to open doors for you. Uh You just need to be able to walk through them. And simply, what he meant is that, yeah, you'll you'll get meetings with people, and you'll be able to talk to people, and not people who know who you are, but you still have to deliver the goods. Mm-hmm. So, um, this is this is an opportunity, but you're now it's now it's on you to actually, you know, utilize the opportunity. So, you know, preparation meets opportunity. Now it's time to go. Yeah. Um, for me, um, I would say two things happened with the real world. One, um, there was this guy named Barry Pruitt who is an editor at Q books who saw me on the show and they were put, they are about to, to, uh, relaunch the complete idiot's guide series, Mm. which is kind of an alternate version of the dummies books. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he said, yeah, we want to put cartoons in the book. Would you like to do them? It's like, uh, yes, sure. (laughs) Like, like what? So it was basically, I was doing spot illustration for the complete idiot's guide series. And I did, I, I honestly think I did like 500 of them. Wow. Um, yeah, no. And they really paid the bills. There was this it was it was like this really steady work where I drew all the time and allowed me to do things like, you know, um work on my syndicated comic strip, which wasn't in enough papers to pay any bills, um, and you know, later do a graphic novel uh, about Pedro Zamora, which while doing it pretty much on spec for two and a half years, didn't pay any bills, but I drew the Complete AIDS Guide series yeah. and Was it my life's work? No, it was a bunch of spot illustration work for like, you know, the completely idiots guys to Java 3.0, you know, (laughs) so relevant today. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. I got copies. If anybody wants them, I'm sure I'm sure somebody might want them somewhere. Yeah. Um, But there's nothing wrong with that. Like, there's nothing wrong with taking those jobs
3: to pay the bills if they free you up to do other things on the side that you wouldn't have had the time to do.
1: Yeah, and it was, but it was purely one hundred percent because this man yeah. watched me on television, called MTV. Wow! <laughs> and no, just called him. You know, he just called him and said, like, "Hey, I want to talk to Judd more about a cartooning job. Can I speak to him?" And it's, it's like not everybody's actually doing that. And you know, they got all kinds of stupid calls about all kinds of dumb things. From you know, can you know, Judd do our sons bar mitzvah sign in board <laughs> um you know like that call didn't get forward but like no as a grown person who works for a publishing company and they want to you know, talk to you so this is legit um, so him i said yeah it was legit and i was you know so that was a huge part of my life and i'll never ever forget barry pruitt for for making so much of my life possible just just by giving me a gig yeah. that went on for years and allowed me to do everything else um the other The other thing that happened was a couple of years later, um, it's like 96-ish or so, um, I'm at the San Diego Comic-Con, and this is before the San Diego Comic-Con became the Mm -hmm. big monstrous thing that it was. It was a small monster at this time, Mm -hmm. and director-writer Kevin Smith was there. Kevin was about to launch a couple of comic books of his own through this company called Oni Press. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they were just starting out, his his movie Chasing Amy just came out, so Kevin was there. You know, he had a decent sized line, uh, and you the 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 thing was, he you, you could buy this uh, script collection he had. So it was a um, a book collection that had Clerks and Chasing Amy in it. And uh, that's what most people are doing. they're buying that, and he was signing that. Now, this is like 96, like a year and a half after the real world, and I was doing the thing that I ordinarily do, which is I like to meet famous people, and there's an excellent chance they know who I am from television. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then I get to have some kind of meaningful exchange with them, and maybe we actually, like, go to lunch. It was, it was one of these funny things to get to, like, oh, aren't you? Like, I am. How are you doing? That's
0: cool. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> blah, blah, blah.
1: Instead of like, hey, complete stranger, I know your work. And yeah, I it's a lot harder than. Yeah, no, it's this. This was always fun for me and Pam because if we met somebody who we admired, they might know us from TV, and you get to have an actual exchange with someone. Yeah, you know, and it's it was cool. So I was hoping, like, at the very least, like Kevin, would go. Oh, I saw you on that show. That was great. Very cool. Oh, you're yeah. a comic nerd too. That's awesome. You know, so go up, give Kevin the book name's Judd no recognition um who should I sign this to I'm like I'm trying to gild it a little bit can you make it out to Judd and Pam It's like yep to Judd and Pam who gets the book if you guys but break up yeah. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know just kidding hang tough love Kevin here you go buddy it's like okay he has no idea who I am yeah. alright so much for that while this is going on out of the corner of my eye I see someone uh is, is looking at me he's looking at me because I know he recognizes me because we know what you get the vibe um so I look over at him and I give him the up nod. He gives me the up nod. This guy's name is Bob Shrek. Uh, Bob was Kevin's editor for his comic books, and he was the publisher of Oni Press. And he watched me on The Real World. Yeah. He knew. <laughs> and I walk over and introduce myself. I see his name tag. I said, You're Bob Shrek. He goes, Yeah. He goes, You're, I said, Yeah, I'm Jeff from The Real World. How are you doing? John Weddock. It's good to meet you. And we start chatting. So I think what was also helpful is that I knew who Bob was. He was, uh, he was Frank Miller editor on a number of books. he has okay. been at Dark Horse Comics for, you know, decades, and was a really big-shot editor who worked with great people, and this has got Matt Wagner as well, and anyway, Bob and I got to talking, and then that happened. Like, we're talking, 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 and he said, I'm starved. Do you want to go to lunch? Like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> so Bob Shrek became my rabbi. Um, he is the one when he uh, he published my first uh, comic book story in Oni Double Feature, Um, he was one of the first people who read Pedro of me, who then went back and said, go find a mainstream publisher. If they don't want to do it, we'll publish it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He said, I'd love to publish it. He said, but we're a comic book publisher. You should find a book publisher, go. Um, and then when he went to DC Comics, um, you know, he called me and said, do you want to write Green Lantern? Like, of course I want to write (laughs) Green (laughs) Lantern. Like, what kind of question is that? (laughs) Yeah. No, and I mean, mean, for him, he's like, I guess, I don't know, like maybe you're an indie guy and you don't like this stuff. Do you like superhero comics? Like, yeah, man, I love superhero comics. Like, sure. So a part of that was because Bob had read Pedro and me and he, Mm -hmm. you know, he felt comfortable enough that and confident enough that, I could do this, and he said, "You know, go write a couple, go write two scripts, and then I'm going to show it to the editor in chief, and then we're going to take it from there." And he did. You know, he taught me, he shepherded me through it. So because Kevin Smith didn't recognize me on television, <laughs> and Bob Shrek did, so that was it. That was it. That's that's how the real world helped
0: But <laughs> well, in no knew.
1: small amount, apparently. <laughs> no, it was you know, it was it it was an enormous deal. Yeah. Um, these doors are open for me, and I had to walk through them but these two gentlemen recognized me and, uh, you know, and then gave me a shot. Yeah. Um, you know, that coupled with the fact that I met my wife on the show and now we have two children and we've been together for 23 years. These are things that I'm grateful for. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um,
3: switching gears for just a couple of minutes. Um, talk to me about the, this makes me happy strips that you, you have on your site and that you put out on Twitter. I mean, are those just therapeutic and for your own sanity these days, especially?
1: Um, yeah, I wish I had more time to, to do them again. I did. I, I, I had like a backlog of several, several months where that was part of my, let me just draw again thing. Yeah. Like I just want, I just want to draw a little something. And, uh, let me, I just, I, I, I don't want even want to get involved. I want to do like a one panel thing. And then I realized like, what if they're not even jokes? What yeah. if they're just sort simple, fun things? Um, And uh, I do want to find more time to do just that. Little things that just... Like, this makes me happy. Mm -hmm. Someone do, like, Ed Asner. Ed Asner just makes me happy. Yeah. (laughs) I see Ed Asner somewhere and go, yeah, man. And, like, (laughs) no, I don't need to make a joke out of it. I'm just going to do a funny drawing of Ed Asner and just write that. This makes me happy, Ed Asner. You know? Or, you know, or a flip side of it. Like, what makes me happy? What's one of my favorites? Like, um, yeah, how... Listening to Paul Simon, still crazy after all these years, makes me feel like I'm living in an apartment in New York City in yeah. the 1970s. Yeah. It just it, it takes me right back there. Um, it's like, oh, no, that's, like a, that's a thought. So
3: that's, I, I get a him.
1: book of things like that. Yeah, I love that.
3: I, I, think, and I think, like, now especially, anything that can make people smile and just be happy, I think we should be celebrating and shouting from the rooftops, you know? I mean, it's so, like a collection of all those little strips would be amazing.
1: Yeah, I I I think I might get out just for that reason. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's yours. You can take that one. <laughs> <laughs> um no, we're living we are living in troubled times. It's, it's fun to remember. Um We have to. We yeah, have to remember things. to smile. I mean, it's, again, it's it's why I really love what I'm doing right now, even I think even more than I did before. Um you know, life, life, I was going to say, life was good. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Once upon a time. <laughs> uh, let, let's, well, here, to, to, to be really honest, so before before the election, um, I was feeling like, you know, I think we, collectively, my, you know, my family, like we were feeling great. Things yeah. were, like, really, really good. The kids were kids great. You know, Pam was terrific. Things with like I, I, for her work are popping along. Like I'm doing something I really, really love. Like we we felt really, really great. And you know, and then the election happened, and we really felt like uh, the world just looked at us and just kicked us right in the face. Yeah. Um. You know, took it on. Took it even on a personal level. Like, wow, it was almost as if like, oh no, no, things, you know, things can't be too good. Mm-hmm. Like, and we have it good. Like things are good for us. Yeah. Let's pull, you know, let's you know, pull everybody down a notch. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody. And like and some people, like their entire lives are they are in jeopardy yeah. um, with that, with that little dark piece of business. Um, there is something so wonderful and satisfying um, and hopeful about doing this all ages story that kids are kids are enjoying.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's you know, I just I just spent two weeks going going to school visits. And, you know, I'm not, we're not talking about Trump, you know, yeah. <laughs> we're, you know, I'm, I mean, it, yes, it's a little self-serving. I'm talking, you know, about my own crap and I'm talking about the story I made, but, um, I feel like it comes from an honest place that, you know, again, kids are, I'm going there and I'm telling kids and talking to them about Hilo and talking about doing cartoons and making their own stories and
0: mm-hmm.
1: even if you're not a writer or a cartoonist, you can make things and you can do things that, you know, that make you, that make you happy, yeah. you know? And I, 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 tell them how often, I mean, part of my talk is that, you know, uh, this, 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 life, I, I do, like, you know, people ask me, do you have a hobby? It's like hobby. Like I make up stories and I draw them. Like this is, this is my, this is my quote unquote job. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, I live like a 10 year old boy. When I was 10, I would used to draw pictures and half watch television. Now I draw pictures and half watch television. I'm 47. <laughs> this is my job. You know this is i'm I tell them I'm the luckiest guy in the whole world, and you guys should try to do something where it makes you feel like you're the luckiest person in the whole world, and you can yeah. it's like and I'm not you know it's like and if and if it is something in science or math and like that's cool too be excited, love what you do um it is extremely hopeful
0: yeah.
1: uh because you know day to day um some of those kids and some of those kids they do have to worry about so much mm-hmm. um you know i i talk at I talk at all kinds of schools and i I'll be blunt i talk to I talk at extremely expensive private schools, and then we talk at schools which have metal detectors and gates and cops
0: mm-hmm.
1: um you know, I want to go to those schools too and uh you know and oddly, the children are equally happy to see me like kids are kids it's pretty yep. amazing yeah um and uh you know it's I, it's this gift I get, you know, I get to make a story and then I get to go to meet with children who actually like it It's it's a yeah. it's a wonderful thing. It's a hopeful thing.
3: Yeah, I, I have to imagine From your perspective that that's so much more gratifying and rewarding, you know, you know, you don't have Angry adult fans screaming at you on Twitter about what you've done with their favorite character You know these kids don't have unreasonable expectations for you, you know They just love what they love and if they love what you do then icing on the cake
1: yeah, it is a little bit better than some of the fanboy and fangirl <laughs> yeah. stuff. It it's it's—I had not thought about that as literally as a comparison because they're so far away from one <laughs> another. But yeah, yeah. There's, it, I mean, it's like it's it's much better than being given, you know, some random stranger to say like, "Do us all a favor and yourself a favor yeah. and stop writing superhero comics." Because yeah. the worst thing I ever read in my entire life, and I've read comics for thirty-five years. <laughs> Is that last issue of Batman you just wrote? It was by far the worst thing I've ever read, ever. You know, anonymous. You know, Skywalker, yeah. nineteen twenty. Thank you whatever. for that. Thank you for that. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. You went out of your way to tell me what a terrible person I am. For, you know, um, it's so. Yeah, this is a little bit better. It's a little bit.
3: I have to. I have to imagine. It, it is. Um, I got one more question for you, and then I'll let you go. Um, and I have to admit unless wikipedia is totally lying to me which it it could very well be you have one of the most original marriage proposal stories ever um <laughs> and i was wondering if you could
1: just share that well share what happened yeah happily <laughs> um uh hang on i'm okay take a quick break here hang one sec sorry Pam was texting me, and I wanted oh. to make sure it wasn't something, some, something emergent. How perfectly um, timely, though. Okay. <laughs> it was. It was weird that you said, like, you know, brought her up, and, like, I see a text. like, said, so that's the universe telling me, like, look at your phone. Um, okay, picking back up. Um, yeah, so our – my marriage proposal to Pam. Um, so Pam and I had been uh, shacking up for about seven years, um, and uh, we had not gotten married – not because we were still debating whether we wanted to be together. It was purely about <laughs> did not have any time to plan a wedding. Right. Pam was finishing her residency. It was really busy as a doctor. Also we weren't we weren't really hung up on being married. It wasn't sort of a like a Susan Sarandon Tim Robbins kind of thing where they were together for like, I don't know, like thirty years and they never got married because they were just didn't like the idea of the mm-hmm. of the union. Like we didn't have an issue one way or the other. Right. But then as we talked about it, it's like yeah, you know what? It's like, it, it, our, our, We're getting to the point that our parents are giving us a lot of grief, and we we're thinking about starting a family, and we knew that bastard grandchildren would really bother people. <laughs> um, so I was like, okay, at some point we should get married. So with that, um, I decided to do something as, as dumb and as silly as possible. Um, I uh, made sure Pam was home, um, and uh, I rang the bell and so well she answered the door and there's a guy in a gorilla suit that's me i'm in a gorilla suit <laughs> <laughs> and uh, i hand her a clipboard that said will you marry me with like like a, in like, two boxes one to check yes one to check no and but she didn't exactly check it because she she started laughing and crying and yelling and she kept asking me, like what
0: are you doing
1: <laughs> what are you doing um and then so, like, led her back inside, took off the gorilla mask, got down on one knee, took out a ring, proposed, asked her to marry me. She said yes. She hugged me. I'm still in the gorilla suit. And then I said, okay, hang on. And then I went back downstairs, opened the door, and then three Elvis impersonators came in. <laughs> yes, three, because, cause, yeah, three. Because why not, right? <laughs> yeah. No, if you're going to go, go big. Exactly. So, I and, like that. And, and, and they happened to be, like, one was sort of like younger Rockabilly Elvis. The other two were Vegas Elvis. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, by the way, they were really excited to work together, too. <laughs> they kind of worked something out. So, uh, so they sang three songs, uh, four songs, actually. Each, each took his own number, and then they sang one together, and they were really, really excited. Uh, <laughs> and uh, then Bam and I flew off to Vegas. That night, not to get married, just to go to Vegas to continue with the Elvis theme. Yeah. Um, so, gorilla suit, three Elvis impersonators serenading us, and uh, and then off to Vegas. That's I think incredible. the only interesting addendum to the story would be that I hid the three Elvises um, at author Armistead Maupin's house. <laughs> <laughs> so. Armistead's, Armistead's been a friend of ours for, well, I would like, say, like, like, now for, like, you know, for over 20 years, and at the time for, like, over a decade. And he lived really nearby. And when I told him, like, do you want to? I like, yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Like, he's having, he said it was just the best time. It's like, like, I got three Elvis impersonators here in my house waiting to go while you dress up in a gorilla suit to propose to Pam. Like, this is the greatest. He said, I love you guys. I love this city. I love this life. It's so great. <laughs> So they were hiding up there. So there's pictures of Armistead with the, with the Elvis impersonators waiting for me to, to pop the question to Pam. Oh, so That is a story um, that I don't
3: think can be topped, quite
1: honestly. <laughs> <laughs> that was my plan. That was sort of, you know, we, we met on reality TV. So I figured, well, and we were us and we were together the whole time. And I just, I wanted to do something incredibly stupid. Yeah. So that was, that was what it was.
3: Mission accomplished,
1: right? <laughs> yeah, totally mission accomplished. Yes, indeed.
3: John, thank you so much for taking the time. This has just been it's such a pleasure. Thank you so, so yeah, much. Yeah,
1: me too. I hope, I hope you realize that you could tell how, how good a time I had doing it. I hope it so. Good. I appreciate it.
2: Okay, so I have a new idea for a podcast um, that we're going to start in yeah. place of the Great and Beautiful podcast next week. Okay. We're going to go episode by episode. Like, have you seen those podcasts that go episode by episode of shows? They they do. They exist. We're gonna do it of the real world, all seasons, starting with
3: season one. Oh my God! Do you hate me? Like what have I done to you?
2: (laughs) Do you know what? I'm joking about it, but I guarantee if you go to the app store and search it or the podcast store, it's It's, probably there.
3: there probably is one. You're right. I mean, because there are podcasts for every show in existence. And, you know, I think I could probably make it through the first two or three seasons of that show doing that. And it might be fun to sort of relive them. But right. there was a reason everybody stopped watching that show.
2: Right. <laughs> no, I think it'd be fun to do, though, with a show that you like, like a show that not that I don't know maybe I don't want to bash on the real world but if, in case you're a big fan or who, who like whoever's listening but a show that like you treasure and love from your past that might be really fun to do like go through TNG yeah. and do it or I know there's probably a hundred podcasts that do it but I think it'd be even if no one listened I think it'd be fun <laughs>
3: Yeah, no, I do. I listen to a few, actually. I mean, I've I've said before I don't listen to many podcasts, but like the two or three that I do listen to regularly are actually shows like that. And I'm gonna plug them now. You, this is not set up. Yeah, no, do it up. But you know, there's one, uh, and again, I don't think either of these really need our plugging here at the end of our episode. But um, (laughs) it's called Mission Log, and it's actually and it's an official Roddenberry podcast. But it's they they they're going through all of Star Trek episode by episode. So they started with the original series. They went through the animated series, all of Next Generation, and right now they're in season five, I think, four or five of The Next Generation, and they're just gonna go, I mean, obviously this is like a 10, 15 year commitment, but they're going through one a week, one episode. Wow. All of Star Trek. Um, and, but the angle that they're taking, they're not just two nerds sitting around going, whoop, that was great. Um, it was, you know, the (laughs) angle they're taking is, you know, what are the messages, morals and meanings of this episode Mm -hmm. and how can we relate it to today? And do those messages still hold up, you know? Um, so they, they have some really, really fascinating conversations. Another podcast I listen to is about Batman, the animated series, which I think is one of the best shows ever made. Um, it's called the Arkham sessions. And what they do is they go through every episode and, um, Andrea Letamendi, who is one of the co-hosts, is a um, clinical psychologist. I'm hoping okay. I get her title right. Um, but they anal- they analyze every episode and the characters and the villains and their actions um, from a, a psychological perspective, and you know what wow. what condition. Did, what condition does the Joker have in this episode or what condition does poison Ivy have that makes her act in this way like what's up right. with Bruce Wayne why is he acting like this what's wrong with him um and it's again they have some really fascinating <laughs> conversations so if you're not familiar with either one of those I really recommend them both
2: man that's what I love about geek them like you can take something that's like, man, it's just a story and turn right? it into like a full dissection of their psychology. And yeah. I love it.
3: And I listened to you know I listened to both of those and I was like, well, there's no way I could ever have a podcast about either one of those shows because I can't top them.
2: No, there's no way. <laughs> <laughs> but we do have a podcast, people who you're listening to it right now. So if you if you uh if it's your first right. time, go hit that subscribe button and join the great big beautiful podcast family. We are a family. We're a big family. We are. Family. We love We love everybody. <laughs> and you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at the GBB podcast or us personally, Justin, at 140 Justin C. Hey,
3: I'm Jamie. I'm at the RoarBots.
2: And we will see you next time right here on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com
3: slash geekdad.